I have uh, like two old Nokia phones here because I'm going to use them as uh, Wi-Fi routers for when I go to the seaside. Oh, that's a good idea. I did yeah. the same thing when I went to San Francisco for WWDC for the past two years. I always uh, call AT&T and get a review unit, and there's always like a Nokia Lumia something. And uh, oh. <laughs> and I and it comes with and it's prepaid data and everything, so I use them for tethering when I'm at coffee shops and stuff like that. Oh yeah, well that Lumia is kind of high end because I have here a uh, I don't need, what the hell it's uh I think it's the five thousand eight hundred I think that was the number I think it was the first touch touchscreen Nokia. Huh. It it was my mom's. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, because uh, I uh, there's this app uh, that some I don't know some Finnish people did. It's called like Joiku Spot or Joiku Spot. I don't know. It it was basically tethering before it was built into the system. Oh really? Yeah. So you can ha- you can get that. It's I think it's ten bucks or something, and then just put in because uh, my folks are going to Croatia, so I bought them a, a data SIM card from Croatia. And then they can they can fill it up themselves. Oh, right. It's yeah, it's a no hassle thing. So they, they they don't call me with you know instructions every two days when it like craps out or something. They they kind of know how to handle it. So sure. And that was making noise, and now it's off. I think yes, it's off. So uh, I don't know. Maybe we already started. I'm never sure. <laughs> it's up to you. I'll leave it up to you. I've been clicking around and stuff, moving around and stuff, but I'll be quiet when we actually record. Or oh, if okay. this is it, then yeah, I think this. Is, yeah, yeah, I think this is it. Oh, it basically. So uh, you know, my, my first question is always the same, basically, because you know, who are you and what do you do? Okay, um, I'm Alexander. Um, I'm a writer, an entrepreneur, and a podcaster. Yeah, which is where I first uh, heard of you, I guess. Oh, really? Uh, the podcasting portion? Yeah. yeah, yeah, basically. Through Bionic. Sure. Because, yeah, I somehow found found Mike, and then, you know, and then I'm an Android guy, basically. So Bionic was right up my alley. Oh, uh, sure. Really. Yeah. Because I, I, I had to return the uh, Sony Xperia Z tablet today, oh, really? like literally this morning. So, and that's kind of fresh on my mind. So I'm going to talk to you about, we'll go through Android and Bionic first and then move to the other stuff. That's sure, okay. Sure, sure, sure. So like when I talked to Mike, he said you basically didn't want to do an Android show at first. No, I didn't. He, um, it's, it's almost exactly a year ago, actually, since Mike originally came to me with the concept. Um, he came to me just prior to me, just prior, because tomorrow's July 4th and that might date this, and I'm sorry. Um, but it was around that time last year, I was about to go down to the beach uh, for the day, and I remember he had come to me with this idea, and he said, I'm really interested in doing a show about Android. I'd love for you to host it. And I had never used an Android phone full-time, and I had never really been involved in any of that stuff. And I, was, and I just sort of said to him, like, you know, what's the point? I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about in that space. And he was very persistent, and he kept coming at me for a few weeks. Um, and basically my compromise with him was that I was very interested in hosting a show. I'd been on, uh, command space, what, what was then the bro show. I'd been on that a few times. Um, and I'd been on a few other shows and I was really interested in the medium. Um, and I said to him that if we could have an even handed look at not just Android, but all competing ecosystems in the technology world, and we could be the guys that 
sort of act as a bastion of even-handed, you know, logical and rational looks at what the competition is doing, then I'd be very interested in that discussion. I'd be very interested in doing that show. And that's really how we got off the ground. And he really tried to push it to be really Android only at first. Um, but I laid down the law and we, uh, <laughs> and, and now it's, and now we, we're, we're about to hit episode 50. Um, are you, or you already did? Uh, uh, well, we thought we did. Well, yeah, you thought you did, basically. That was awesome. Mike thought but, we did. Yeah, well, Mike, yeah, we should, yeah, we should blame him, basically, for that one. Yeah, blame so. Mike for everything, really. Yeah, well, that's true. But, no, but where does the whole uh, even hand, uh, this is such a stupid question, because this should, this should be how the world works. Right. But where does the whole even handed, uh, kind of viewpoint from your side come from? Because that's um, not really the norm online no, these days. The, the trouble on the internet, um, particularly around certain brands, and even outside the internet, is that people are very tribal in the way they look at the things they purchase and buy into, and it's a defense mechanism for justifying purchasing habits. So if you buy into Apple and you keep buying apps therein, then there's this natural inclination for you to defend that ecosystem and thereby defend your purchasing. Um, so online, it's exacerbated because people have the ability to just say whatever they want to an audience of that they've curated of people that have similar opinions. So the danger is you follow all people on Twitter that believe that, say, Apple is the best company. All the people that follow you believe the same thing. And it's very easy to end up in this false sense of security that all of your opinions are perfectly balanced and correct because you're saying things and no one's challenging them. Uh, so when I started my site, uh, 137, that's about a year and a half ago now, the, the, the guiding concept behind doing that and the reason I started writing again was because I saw so many people that were just outright defending Apple when Apple doesn't really need a defense. You know, they're one of the biggest companies in the world and people don't need to be babying them and adopting this extreme philosophy that they're the best company out there. And I really wanted to come out and talk more about, you know, anything ranging from things like artwork and interior design and literature all the way to technology. And I've ended up predominantly talking about technology because it's been so difficult for me as someone that likes to look at the broader landscape um, to watch. So I, I was writing all these articles and it turned out to be quite popular. There's a subset of people um, that are really interested in that sort of philosophy and looking at it from a different perspective. And really the genesis of Bionic was in my sight and that's the reason why Mike uh, wanted me to do this. I think it was actually Stephen Hackett's idea to get me to do yeah, I think you said Stephen recommended you basically. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, but that you see, I think that that whole tribal mentality, right, is a lot more prevalent when it comes to technology. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and you, do you have any idea why that is? I, I, I don't. I don't really know. Uh, I think it's. I think it's something to do with that uh, justifying purchasing and investment and stuff like that. But also, it's just because when it comes to technology, it's easier for people to to say whatever they feel like um, online with no ramifications. There's no accountability on the internet for the average person using Twitter. You know, for the person that doesn't necessarily have their face or anything as their Twitter avatar, not that there's anything wrong with that, but 
there's a certain degree of anonymity and with anonymity comes a lack of accountability. And I think a lot of people just get away with adopting extremist opinions in some respects for justifying and gaining attention um, in other respects just because they can. So I think, <laughs> I, think yeah, it's, I think it's just polarized and I don't think there's any good reason why, but it's, it bothers me. On a very, very deep level. It sounds like it does you too. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. Because I write for a tech magazine, right? So, and I kind of try to avoid that sort of, uh, even the language those people use, you know, the my phone and, you know, the, right. the whole, I don't know, it gets too personal for me. It's at the end of the day, it's just a phone. Right. Yeah, yeah no. They, that's, that's one of the things I always try to write about is, um, I, if you refer to it, like whenever I'm writing an article and I'm talking about my life, I never actually say what phone I use. I never say, oh, on my iPhone. I always say on my phone. And then on Twitter, I always talk about people arguing over the type of telephone people use because it just sort of <laughs> puts it in context a little bit. Yeah, basically, yeah. But um, like w when you started writing the site, um, so the idea was to just kind of, you know, do whatever you wanted to do. But like, how has the frequency of the writing been? Because, you know, you, you kind of disappear for a while and then you come back with like eight articles, like one after the other. Yeah. And how does that work? So um, I started the site in November 2011. And basically, I had run a site when I was younger that was really quite successful. I wrote it under a pseudonym uh, from about when I was about 11 to 14 or so. And that was it, the GameCube demo site, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's awesome. And it did, it, did, it did really well, and sort of had like 1.5 million uniques a month and stuff, which is um, insane. Which In was, those was, days, yeah. And I had a, I had corporate sponsorships. I had everything, and so I had, and I kept it secret from everyone in my life. I never talked about it, and so I was working a corporate job in 2011. Um, and I got this sort of itch to break out into the startup world. And in America, um, I, I, I studied English literature at university, amongst other things. Uh, but that was my focus. And in England and in Europe in general, that is seen as a core subject that's valuable for any number of careers. But in the U.S., it's seen in a very reductive way as this very constraining, pointless endeavor so I had this itch to start writing about startups and about technology and about various ecosystems just purely because I wanted to justify and show that there was a lot more to me than just this degree and that my insight and acumen in the business world was just as astute as what I might have to say about a piece of literature. And so the site started and I was doing it just I had a corporate job. And I was just doing it part-time, so the frequency was fairly consistent then because I'd be in an office and I'd have time to write and it would, just, it would fit in with my breaks and my lunchtime and whenever I finished work and things like that. Um, then April last year, I left the company and started my own company. And from about then onward, finding time to just sit down and write, it's, it becomes increasingly difficult because I'm always wading through email and whatever else so more recently it's basically like the site the traffic if you look on a month by month basis since I launched it has continued to increase every month since I launched it but the frequency of me posting has dropped off completely since probably last April 
So there's been a strong correlation between me writing less and more people reading and subscribing. Um, and basically, I've moved all of my sort of ephemeral, pointless links, things that I don't, I don't necessarily have the time to write about, to Twitter. And that's where I put a lot of my inane commentary and I you know, joke <laughs> around it and I'm snarky. But then on the website, I... I, I, sometimes there's just something that really weighs on me and it's like, you know, I have to write about this. So last week I wrote about uh, change and that really came out of nowhere. I just woke up on Friday morning and was like really frustrated after my, all my arguments with Mike on Bionic about the Xbox One and PS4 <laughs> and all this stuff. And I just started writing and it came out and then that ended up being this huge article that ended up, you know, tech meme and hack news and all that sort of stuff. And that's really how it, the site works for me now is this, it's just the same as it's always been. It's a personal outlet for my opinions that I really care about. And it's, it's a very visceral sense of how I feel about business and the world. But it's turned into this thing where I only go there to use that platform and that mouthpiece when I feel that I really have to. And people seem to respond well to it. I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about it? I don't know. I haven't really spoken to any readers about it, I suppose. Well, I actually like the site because it's one of those. It's in my RSS. Right. So, but when you write, I I usually just uh, study you right away because right, right. I know it's gonna be long. Yeah, it's gonna which be is kind of no. <laughs> that's not meant as a yeah no, a lot no, of no, adge- adjectives. Right. But, yeah, no, I just I just assume that it's gonna be a long post, and then I just start it. So it kind of you know it waits for me there because sure. I because everything else it's it's usually shorter. That's why I like also Chris Gonzalez's side on retrofied. That's right. Kind of the thing, because I just know it's going to be something a little longer, and it, you know, it's not the thing you do like uh, with the morning coffee and stuff, you know, when you just kind of go through stuff. But yeah, I really enjoy the site. I think that's why I'm talking to you, basically, because I like the podcast and the site. So yeah. (laughs) Um, But the 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 next thing I wanted to ask you, because if we go back to a bionic a little, like so. For the past year, I guess you've been following Android a little bit more. I say ever since you got the Nexus Seven, basically. Yeah. Right. So yeah, we got the Nexus Seven uh, right when I first joined, or right when we first started Bionic, it came out. But so, how? What was your experience with the uh, with the before four point You know, before the Android four point versions of the operating system. Uh, fleeting. I'd, yeah. I'd had samples. I at the time. It was when I was really sort of focused on potentially trying to turn 137 into more of a full-time endeavor, and I had sponsorships with AT&T and things like that. So I was getting sent phones, um, but they were underwhelming at best yeah. for me. I mean, they were. I mean, they were interesting, um, and there wasn't necessarily anything really wrong with them, and I wouldn't judge anyone for using one. But it was just in comparison to iOS at the time for my use case scenario, they didn't really match up completely. Not it's like, well, much different now, you know. Yeah, but not that there. I don't think there was a use case scenario where they would match up because right. I think four point was the one because I I got to review a lot of them. Sure, I mean, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I held out with my uh, Nokia N nine hundred, the Mego one. Oh really? Right. The, yeah, I still have it, dude. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's actually my primary uh, vacation router. <laughs> Is it? Okay, yeah, because yeah, well, it still has like thirty-two gigs of you know internal storage, and the camera is still pretty good. So I just take that on vacation every time. So, <laughs> but yeah, I I stuck with that until the Galaxy Nexus. Yeah, okay. that was the first four point phone, and yeah. when I got that one to review, I said, yeah, well, this is pretty much it now. Yeah, I mean, I remember yeah. really early on when we were first starting Bionic, and we both really started looking 
long and hard at 4.0 and everything that was going on in that ecosystem. And I remember saying something that actually proved to be quite controversial in terms of people uh, writing back to us and everything. And I said that um, in many respects, Android 4.0 is Android 1.0 for the broader public. It's the first version of Android that reaches an acceptable point of polish and usability and design that makes it a really, really viable and really, really interesting competitor in the marketplace. Yeah, and that ex- that exact point I wrote in my like first column I got for the magazine. Oh, did you really? Like, yeah, last month, seriously. That I wrote about the whole Android ecosystem and the fact that 4.0 was the first thing where you could actually recommend the thing to people, yeah. like to normal people. Absolutely. Because be- before that, it was just, yeah. You know, the whole HTC uh, Desire phones and the Desire HD, which were like beautiful pieces of hardware, basically. But they ran like 2.3 or 2.1, right. and that's just, it was pointless at that point, basically. Yeah. I mean, like that was just, what, that was when arguments about fragmentation and things actually really mattered because yeah. it was it was an actual detriment to the ecosystem. These days, uh, we see a lot of people with these same sort of critiques of the ecosystem, but you can always tell when someone hasn't used Android in a long time or hasn't really um, given it a fair shake because they bring out these age-old arguments that were relevant two years ago that have no bearing in reality anymore. Um, and that's, yeah. that's really what the show's all about. And it sounds like you're on the same page too. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, I like, I think a couple of months ago, we did this for the magazine. We did this big like comparison of the low end Android phones. Sure. And it's amazing what 4.0 can do on a device that basically sells for nothing. Right. Right. You can get like, I don't know, the Sony Xperia Tipo or whatever. I don't even know what it's called, but it's like this tiny little phone and it just has 4.0 on it. And it's like miles ahead of any like desire HD and yeah. all of those phones. And it's just, yeah, you can always tell when people just think it's the old Android. Android and the new one kind of, you know, it's not the same thing anymore. And it's kind of hard to explain to people. Yeah. So like, since you, you, you do know Android and you live in iOS, basically, like right. if, when, when normal people ask you which phone to get, like, is it still like the iPhone still the first thing you say, or is no. it, has that changed now? No, I mean, a lot of the questions I get is, is typically the question isn't, should I get an iPhone? It's what would it be like if I bought like an HTC one? Um, and it's it, a lot of people, especially in England, actually, people at home, I found, are starting to increasingly use all these different phones. People I know out here, um, some of whom are shareholders in Apple and stuff, keep saying, they keep coming to me because Apple's been going like through all this PR crisis over the past year because, you know, they're stagnant and there's no innovation and blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's the, 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 the genesis of that of that philosophy and that, that outlook on the company comes from the broader public, not necessarily from people like us. It's, yeah. And those people are coming to me increasingly and saying, should I, should, should I, I have to, I have an, I have a phone upgrade right now. And I was thinking about waiting for the next iPhone, you know, later this year. But then I saw, you know, this HTC thing and it's really, really interesting. And then, and I'd say to them, honestly, like, you know, you wouldn't do badly if you got one of these, and it's really worth looking at. And you know, it it for me, it's not the default recommendation anymore just to get an iPhone. It is for some people. Like um, my mum, for example, yeah. <laughs> she's she's still using like a BlackBerry and stuff. Um, and for her, I don't think Android's quite at a point of readiness for her. Um, but I think for younger people. Um, People, people that are relatively comfortable with um, 
that, that have been using an iPhone for a while and things like that. I think, I think in many respects, moving to Android would be a step up for them. So I've, I've been, I've been treating it like that, but I mean, I'm, I'm still happy to recommend an iPhone. I, I use an iPhone full time. I'm probably going to buy the unlocked HTC one soon, but, um, I think it's way more open now. I think the recommendation isn't as clear as it used to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way, basically. Because, yeah, for my mom, although I did, uh, my dad inherited my Galaxy Nexus, and he's kind of re- he's really happy with it. Oh, that's great. Is, yeah, I never thought that, because he, he used to not be able to send a text, basically. That was <laughs> the level. <laughs> yeah, basically. And now he mails and stuff. So, yeah, I'm really pleased now. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. So th- th- that's why I wanted to talk. I-, I wish I still had that tablet here. But um, the thing is, I don't, I don't know how familiar familiar you are with Android tablets. I'm guessing not that, except for the Nexus 7, which I mean, doesn't. Yeah, yeah, I follow the news, but I don't use any of them. Yeah, I actually own a uh, Asus Transformer Prime really? with the keyboard. Yeah, because that was I when I uh, I gave my laptop, my Windows laptop, to my mom, okay. and then I just built the machine from scratch. And I use like Windows, and uh, I think I have a couple of Linux uh, <laughs> versions on it, basically. Sure. But um, so I needed something portable, and when I saw the battery life of the Prime with the keyboard dock, that was it, basically. Because I write a lot, like when I go for the weekend, I have to write. So and I just got tired of carrying like a heavy laptop, sure. and that thing is just so small and it has like an eighteen hour. I don't even know like how was long really? the battery. I, I didn't See, even know that. Yeah, because there's two batteries. There's one in the tablet, and then there's one in the dock. Uh, so it's it's insane. I mean, and it costs pretty much the same as an iPad. And, uh, but yeah, but you know, the keyboard makes more sense because it's kind of close. It's like a clamshell. It basically looks like a little laptop. Yeah. So yeah, it just that was the only reason I bought it. It's, it's kind of slow and stuff. So yeah. that, I've I actually u- been using that, and then like last week I got that uh, Sony uh, Z tablet. Okay. Yeah. And that thing is pretty damn awesome. Oh really? Yes. I thought the Verge gave it quite a high review. Yeah, I think that's the like like 4.0, like the that Sony tablet is the first Android tablet that I'd actually recommend to people. Well, and, the, the real thing, I th- and this is obviously very cosmetic, but yeah. the Sony tablets look really good. Oh, like, like, I think the Xperia Z, the phone, and the tablet, they're the best looking hardware right now. Yeah, I mean, hardware. for me, it trumps the HTC One as far as I'm concerned, but yeah, that, it's a mistake. Yeah, because I've it's held... It's not in America yet. Oh, it's look, even the phone or... Oh, it's about to be on, oh, like, okay. on T-Mobile, I think. But Yeah, it's this... Sony has this understatement in their design, and then they just kind of started with that whole silver button. The on-off button is silver and big. Okay. I don't know if you saw that, and it's, ah, man, it looks sexy as hell. To me. Huh. <laughs> yeah, and the tablet is basically just like the phone, but bigger. It kind of has that 80s vibe, but modern. I don't know really how to explain it. But the, the thing is, it runs really, really fast and smooth. And like it's everything Android should have been on a tablet like three years ago, yeah. and it wasn't. Right. And this one actually works. And it's the first. So I'm, I, now, you see... You you should get one, like I'm, just to I'm, test out. Yeah, you I'm two should idea. talk about it like as soon as possible, because I think because it's the same thing. You know when you use the Nexus Seven and it wasn't awful, basically. Right. Yeah, it's the same with this one. It just it's it works. It kind of gets out of your way, and when you run Chrome and the tab sync and all of that stuff, it's awesome, basically. Right. right. But yeah, so I don't know that that was my portion of the. <laughs> uh, sure. But I, 
Yeah, I really wanted to kind of mention that because I just had it and it's kind of fresh. You know, I'm writing the review as we like before we started talking. I was in the middle of it, basically. Oh, that's interesting. I'm definitely keen to try out. Um, it, I mean, it looks great and everything. So I'm I'm excited to read your review and everything if it's online, if it's in English. Yeah, that I'm, I haven't translated anything. I, I I'm thinking about the columns I'm gonna write now because I'm gonna do that once a month. I hope so. Maybe I'll I'll translate those. Yeah, if I'll fun. have the time, yeah, basically. Be great. And, and another 70 decibels fact. I got the 70 decibels shirt around the same time uh, they told me I could have the column. And okay. you have to take a picture for the column. And it's not just like a, like a face picture, you know, the whole like the passport thing next right. to the column. I actually stand next to the text. <laughs> in the magazine and I wore the 70 decibel shirt that's awesome yeah I'll send you I'll tweet you a pic and Mike you'll yeah, see I just got the, yeah I got the magazine a couple of days ago and it's hilarious <laughs> I love so, I love that we, we were just uh, Mike uh, Stephen Hackett and I were just out in San Francisco uh, Mike Schechter was there as well and um, it, it was hilarious because we'd be walking around um, just the general vicinity of WWDC and we'd just come across people wearing 70 decibel shirts um, and it was the most amazing feeling. And so we'd go up to, like, I remember we were at uh, Jim Dowrymple's party, and uh, I can't remember his name, and I'm, I really hate myself, I can't remember his name, but there was one guy there that had on a 70 decibel shirt, and he just knew all the inside jokes from all the shows and everything, and it was just <laughs> awesome. It's really exciting. So I love that. I love that. So that was the party where Mike did karaoke. Yeah, I have, that... I have a full video of it that I haven't released yet. But... So you have something longer than the Stevens uh, Vine. Oh, yeah. I have like two and a <sighs> half minutes of it. You have to release that. Yeah, no, I guess that. Well, you have to. That's, uh... Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was right at the front, exactly where Stephen was. We were all standing in the crowd. It was. It was me, uh, Stephen, the team from Studio Knee, and a bunch of the guys from The Verge. And you can see when I'm filming it that I keep turning around to talk to these guys and I freak out that Mike is singing at the top of his lungs. And so the camera keeps turning and going right into Stephen's face. So it's, it's a great video. <laughs> great video. But that has to see the light of day, basically. Yeah, it should. Yeah. No, one, no one's seen it yet. It's just me. Ah, oh, you, you see, you're holding a treasure there, basically. <laughs> That's <laughs> all awesome. So we have to talk about the whole dynamic of you and Mike on Bionic, because cool. um, I did radio for a long time, and that that's kind of rare. That's basically the the the, the thing I'm most att- attracted to, which sounds weird, but yeah, uh, about the show, because that that's kind of rare. So did that develop over time? Because I got into you guys, uh, I think it was like episode three or something, and it's kind of been pretty consistent it's gotten better but just was it like that before you started doing the show or that it did did just click when you started you know recording yeah i don't know mike um when he first invited me to be on the bro show um i was still relatively new online and i had to go out and buy the mic and i had to buy all that sort of stuff and i remember thinking you know mike was this sort of god among podcasting men and um so I was messaging him, making sure I had everything set up and everything, and we we sort of chatted on that first show with Terry, and then after that, we were still friends on Skype and everything, and we just kept occasionally chatting about the news and everything, and we really got on, and we just sort of stayed in touch quite frequently after that, and then um, when it came time to do the show, I was really nervous about it, because, you know, it was launching this thing that... 
I hadn't been so sure about it first, and then I'd sort of manipulated it into my vision of what it should be, and so I had a lot of ownership and accountability over it, and so in probably episode one and two, I, I remember episode one, I rarely spoke at all, um, but it really sort of congealed into this really, really fun environment, and he and I met in person, I think right around when it launched. In fact, it definitely was, because I was home for the Olympics last year. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a few episodes in, and we just got on really well, and so that really helped. And um, I don't know, he's always been very supportive, because I, I remember at the very beginning, I, was, I kept saying, you know, I'm a huge amateur at all of this, and he really helped me sort of understand, and as I probably betrayed at the beginning of the show, I, I don't do any of the recording, I don't do any of the editing, I don't do anything, I just show up on Skype, and I put together our notes, and that's about it. And, and recently, Mike's been doing the notes, because I don't have time Um so I don't know. We just have we have a fun relationship. Um, all those guys at so many dust bowls, we all get on really well. Um, it's like we've known each other for years. So we have the latitude to yell at each other on the show and disagree, and then also joke around about tear away trousers and sexy cruises and whatever else. Yeah, so, but that, uh, yeah. Why was not that the the show title? Oh, like God, that, I, I don't. You know, it it's was, Mike's it was, fault. It was in right? the list. It was in the list. And when we finished recording, I said. I think we should call it Tearaway Trousers, and he was like, we're going to have to call it Fake 50, because I can't have a show on 5x5 called Tearaway Trousers. <laughs> you, see, that, that, you see, I'm going to tell him that that should not happen. You know, you, ha- you guys ha- still have to be rock and roll, even if it's 5x5. I agree. I agree. Yeah, because, you know, he's going to turn into the man now. Oh, God, basically. he is the man now. Um, no, it's, it's, I'm, I'm thrilled for him. Um, Mike, you know, has been working tirelessly to build this brand with 70 decibels. And, you know, before 70 decibels, he was doing these shows. And he, you know, like, people, it's more common knowledge now, but he works a full time corporate job every day. Yeah. And then he records on a schedule uh, to, to meet with all of his co hosts, all of which predominantly, with maybe one exception, are in the US. So he's always on our time zone. He's recording with us. He barely sleeps. He has a serious girlfriend, too. I don't know how he manages it all, but in a very short time, he's managed to really sort of come towards the realization of his dream. And with Command Space, it's performing just outrageously well at the moment. And um, he's just really beginning to master his craft. And I think he's in the right place now. And I'm really thrilled for him. So I think it's a great thing. Yeah, same here. Uh, so we should talk about like uh, our part of the internet, I guess. But like, I wanted to ask you if you could, like, if you had to list five people that people should pay attention to, right? Who would those five people be? Five, like, five. Yeah, people. yeah. I, I don't care if they have a site, a podcast, or whatever. Just you know, the five people you actually follow religiously, basically. Uh, people like I read and pay attention to their opinions. Yes. Yes. Okay. So. Um, there's Matt Buchanan, who writes for The New Yorker now. Um, he and I tend to have very similar opinions about a lot of stuff, and I'm really fascinated by his insight into the industry, and he's doing some amazing things with the way The New Yorker covers technology um, because it's all long-form, and it's all really mm-hmm. insightful, and there's no rush, so I love that. Um, let's see. Uh, always Sean Blanc. Uh, just because he and I are friends, um, he helped me a lot when I got out uh, into the indie sort of world. And he, you know, he's pioneered a new way to monetize his, his content. 
it's something, it's a model that a lot of other people are trying to reappropriate now, but Sean is the master of it. And he's got a lot of amazing ideas in the pipeline. And I have a lot of respect for him being a multi-talented guy that has some good metered takes on what's going on in the industry. Uh, yeah, I love his side also. Yeah, he's great. I have to get him on here somehow. Oh, you definitely should. Um, yeah. You should reach out to him. I'm sure he would. Um, I'm trying to think. This is difficult. Um, yeah, that's why I wanted five because, you know, everybody can do one, two, or three, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's difficult. I'm going to like, have to have a look here. Um, let's see. Who, who do I read? Um, I, well, I'd say uh, Federico Vitici. Well, yeah. Okay. Just because he's, you know, he's an obvious choice, probably. But he's, he's also insane, probably. I don't know how that guy sleeps, works, and does stuff. Yeah, he, he's I, on the U.S. time zone. He sleeps on the U.S. time zone. It's insane. Yeah, I heard the Command uh, Space episode, and that just seems crazy to me. I, like, yeah, I have no idea how he does it. He's a zombie, basically, at this point. He has to be. I don't. There's no other explanation. Yeah, I love his stuff anyway, So, but that's insane what he does. Yeah, it's, he's... He's a really, he's a really, really good guy. Um, also, let's just say uh, Berlusconi and jacuzzis. Just so, we, <laughs> just so we say it. Just so, just so it's on the record. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't even know how that whole dynamic started, but that's a lot of fun. Oh, they, you, you two are my favorite people on Twitter when that gets started. <laughs> that's, no, because uh, we neighbor Italy. Right. right, Slovenia neighbors Italy, so I actually know a lot about Berlusconi because it's close. You know, we get the news and stuff. So yeah, it's it's always. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I studied. I, I mean, one of my main thesis uh, papers I wrote in university was on Italian politics, specifically to do with <laughs> Silvio Berlusconi. And it so the joke, the joke, the whole sort of humor around it originated just because I was really fascinated by his whole story, but then it turned into this whole thing on Twitter. Um, with, with Federico, so it's just, it's a lot of fun. I don't know, it's great. Um, let's see, another person. Uh, Ellis Hamburger, um, he is a writer at The Verge. He's, um, he's, he was originally focused on, app, well, he was originally focused on Facebook and social and sort of apps, but he's getting more into telling long-form, interesting stories about what's going on in the industry, and he seems to have a very even-handed take He's sort of seen as the nice guy in our industry, and I have a lot of respect for that. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's still very new, and he was just on Command Space recently, so people should try yeah. listen to that. Um, but I've met him briefly, and he's a very, very nice, very, very insightful person. And then fifth, I'd say, is Matt Honan, who writes for Wired. Um, and he's a guy who I've been following for years with his takes on technology. He was a gizmodo for a while. He's moved around, but um, he always has a very interesting take on the industry and he's not afraid to say something controversial. So he has been writing this sort of ongoing theme of articles. Whenever someone announces a new phone, whenever there's a big press event, you know, he's always the first person to say, you know, the iPhone 5 is great. It's a fee of amazing engineering. It's It looks amazing. I'm sure it's a great, great phone. I'm sure it's lightweight, whatever. But it's just deeply, deeply boring. And he's been doing that about most of the major product releases. Yeah, and I saw that. He's just, and, and people take it as trolling and it's not serious, but it's actually a very, very intelligent argument. He repeatedly makes that, that we as consumers and as tech 
enthusiasts aren't pushing for people to do innovation anymore. And it's something that I, it's a, it's a topic and a, it's a philosophy that I think a lot about, um, that we are far too, far too quick to appreciate, you know, a new iPhone or the next HTC phone or the next Nexus phone just because just because of what it is rather than what it does and what's good about it. And we don't judge these things objectively anymore. Uh, we don't look at them in a vacuum. And he's one of the only people that's really trying to do that. And I think it's really, really valuable, underappreciated, and people should definitely pay attention. And all these guys are great on Twitter as well, by the way. Yeah, I follow all of them, I yeah. think. So, I, so from the five guys you actually follow, we have to talk about someone who I know you're not a fan of, and I'm not a fan of, but this uh, uh, sh- uh, talk, like our conversation is going to go into my Slovene feed eventually, I think in August. So, and I try to persuade people not to read Business Insider, and you know who I'm getting oh, at now. <laughs> I was wondering what this was saying. <laughs> Look, I, I, like, that, that was one of the things when I said, yeah, well, my, maybe Matt Alexander's like the real deal, basically, because he's insane, right? I mean, I don't know how the... How, how would you describe Blodgett, basically? Like, um, he's, he's our generation's greatest philosopher, and his <laughs> writings will be reflected on by future generations and studied in, uh, in, by academics. So. Yeah, but the thing is, you see, that's what I wanted to talk to you about, because when, when, when we talked about your side, right, you do this whole measured approach with the long-form stuff, and you kind of read the same guys, and then he's like the empty all of that. Oh, yeah. And I don't like. Where do you think that comes from? What that whole model of page view stuff? Because the the thing that struck me the most was when I uh, I think Dan Fromer or Fromer I never know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, he, he's the guy that does split F. Do you know him? Yeah, no, he's one of my. He's he was a very close contender for my top five. Yeah, well, you see, he started Business Insider, right? Right. And I don't I don't understand that. That that breaks my brain every well, so time. I don't. It, it was different though. Uh-huh. Was it really like at the beginning when it was still? What, what, I think it was called something else at the, at the beginning, right? Yeah, I can't remember what it was. Yeah, but, but was it really that different? Because I have no recollection. I mean, I've, I've, I've never made a habit of reading big sites like that. Um, it's like it, it, to me, it's like you know, if if you're reading that really seriously, then you're probably missing out on some really you know really good metered takes somewhere else. It's the same with like Mashable or something. Uh, yeah. Where they're spewing content out, but I think Business Insider originally was founded as a means to provide modern business news in sort of a quick and um, easily consumable way for the more modern reader. And I think there's a lot to praise about that. But I think a lot of what's happened with these publications that have been around, like the CNETs of the world, that have been around since you know the early days of the internet. Um, I think they've seen this ongoing evolution and change in the way people consume content, the way people can monetize content, and the way it's uh, shared and distributed online. And I think Business Insider is the manifestation of what would happen if you saw the way people acted on the Internet and tried to remodel your site around each and every one of those habits. So it's the sort of thing where they're watching people and saying, well, they don't like reading long-form stuff. If they click more, we can do more ad impressions. People like sledgers. People like infographics. People like all this sort of stuff. I think it's just the sort of, it's the chain restaurant 
mega huge menu. It's the Walmart of news. It's they're trying to do everything, and there's no signal. Uh, it's just noise, and I think it probably works in many respects for them. I know a lot of people that pay very very serious attention to them. Um, and with regards to Blodgett, he's a, he's obviously a very intelligent guy. You know, he was a stock trader. He can well he got done. He's not allowed to. He's yeah. not allowed to trade anymore. But um, he's he's obviously a very intelligent person, and him writing the way he does is obviously a conscious choice he's made. It's a business decision. It's it's a persona he's adopted. Um, it's much like Sam Biddle writing Valley Wag. Um, I don't get the impression that he is quite as scathing as he is on that site in person but these people are paid to adopt a persona and to and to really rapidly pursue that online and I think that's what it is with Henry Blodgett which in his case though I just can't palette whatsoever as is hinted at by the way I <laughs> tweet about it but yeah, yeah I mean, it's just yeah. pandering it's just pandering content it's not good there's nothing good about it um but they, but they do serve a use. I don't want to be too disparaging of them. Um, but Henry Blodgett and the way he writes. That whole, uh, I have, like, I got a newspaper to my hotel door article, right? Well, the, that, well, the worst one he wrote was, um, <laughs> why do people hate Jews so much? Yeah. <laughs> and he wrote, he wrote another one that was like, uh, why, why can't women do this sort of work or something? And it's like... Um, I made the joke at one point that he must just go to Google and write why does this happen sort of thing and just wait to see what comes up and he's like oh okay I'm going to write about this today and <laughs> it's just it's just insane everything like you know who has a great if, if anyone needs to catch up on uh, the pontifications of Henry Blodgett uh, gawker.com has this great backlog of looking very very deeply into what what on earth he's talking about <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll find that link. I'll find it and like put it into the show notes if I yeah. do. <laughs> okay, so I'm doing this thing now where I ask every guest, right, what's it like where they live? Because, you know, I'm just some guy in Slovenia. I always do this intro because I don't know how to ask this question properly. But, like, the thing is, I, I, you listen to all of your guys on podcasts and whatnot, and I never really know where you, like, live, what your surroundings are like, what's life like in uh, uh, Dallas and stuff. Sure. So so that's my question, if you heard one in there. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I just moved to an area in Dallas called the Design District. Um, I just got a new office. Um, so I'm in this sort of artsy sort of area. Dallas in general is a very corporate city, um, but there's a this burgeoning uh, startup community. And so I have a startup, which I recently funded. And so I'm building that in this community of sort of artists, photographers, thinkers, writers, all these people that are just genuinely trying to do really, really amazing stuff. So I've moved out. I lived in an area called Uptown, which... Um, was very much just sort of bars and people working in banking and finance and things like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just didn't fully fit in. Um, and so now I'm living in this area that's just over the other side of uh, the motorway from there. And, you know, I'm just surrounded by art galleries and people doing really, really interesting stuff. Um, so, you know, this morning before we go on the call, uh, there's a coffee shop right outside, right next to a hairdresser and a bar, all of which I use on a fairly frequent basis. <laughs> and uh, I went outside and I went out on the patio and um, had uh, 
a cold brew coffee and uh, did my email on my phone and then came back up here to record and that's that's often what I'm found doing. Um, it's just sort of I, I try not to be working, you know, in my apartment too much and I've only just got the office. Um, I've been working in a co-working space, but now I've got like a closed door office because I'm hiring people. Um, mm. So, yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. Except the, the one thing I should add, the giant caveat to sitting outside and stuff is that it gets to about 105 Fahrenheit here every day during the summer, um, and Wait, which is... Well, which is what? Which is 45? Uh, yeah, 40? it's 40.5. Uh, oh, wow. You know, sort of, it, when it, like last, I had some friends of mine from England come to visit a few years ago, and I w- it was when I was still in my corporate job, and they went out during the day to go get uh, groceries. So they went to the supermarket, they walked, and it was, and they literally called me, and they were like, "Can you come pick us up? We are stranded at the supermarket. We cannot walk back with all this stuff. We will literally die." Sort of thing. And and I had uh, like two or three hours left in my work day. I was like, I, don't, I can't, I can't come right now. Like, can you get a cab or something? They're like, No, we'll wait. And they literally sat in the supermarket for the entire oh, wow. time because they didn't <laughs> want to walk home for like it was only like a mile. And uh, but yeah, so it's, it just gets ridiculous here. So that's where I am. I'm involved in this new style of community here, which is really, really fun, really, really healthy. Um, just well, lots of really we, good stuff. Yeah, we should talk about need. Yeah, so, we should. So, what what is it like? What's your pitch, basically? Pitch. So, I, I mean, we're not giving away too much at the moment. We're still yeah. a few months away from launch, but um, our venture partners in Germany wanted to announce that you know they're involved and names of the names of people that have um, that have joined my board and things like that. So, basically, on a very high level, Need is a hybrid between a magazine and a men's retailer. So. It's all about curating and finding the very best um, products, whether they're limited edition or custom made or co-branded with us, or they're things that guys just don't have the time to find, and selling them, uh, mixing it together with some really interesting editorial and photography, um, and localizing it to where you are in the world and defining the tone based upon the creative communities and the writers and the photographers in your portion of the world. Um, so it's, it's, it's not, it's not going to redefine anyone's industry and it's not, it's not disruptive in the way that Amazon was for e-commerce, but it's, it's, it's a niche product that's built on the tenets of building sustainable business and making a profitable and uh, revenue driven business model. So we're venture-backed, and there's this huge stigma around that, but we've built it to be this really sustainable and interesting and fun and healthy project. And we've got, you know, founding member of uh, Guild Group, which is a big e-commerce property, and he was one of the main guys behind Expedia, and he's now the CEO of Travelocity. We've got mm-hmm. huge financial personalities from Europe, and um, we're in talks with people that I can't talk about now, but who are very interested in coming on board. Um, when I was out in San Francisco, you know, we're looking at our next round and the next sort of money we're going to be taking in. And we showed them all our prototypes and everything, which are now ready. And uh, everyone's just very excited about it. So I'm sorry I can't share too much, but it's, it's, no. just, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a good thing, and I'm, I'm hopeful that people are going to enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed building it and everything. So wh- when do you guys plan on you know releasing or shipping or 
I mean, I don't want to sort of define a date well, yeah, too specifically, but like, I mean, we're aiming for later this year, and oh, okay. I want one strong hint would be that um, I'm going to XOXO, and uh-huh. I would I would be I would be surprised if we didn't do something around that. So that, right. that's about as specific as I can be. Yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I just yeah, uh, and uh, I just, I love the logo, by the way. Oh, the whole so N with the yeah, the, I, I love that because. Yeah, my dad's a designer, so I kind of pick up on stuff like that. Oh yeah, we've got loads more design stuff. We haven't been able to share any of it yet. But um, and that, and that site. So here's a little anecdote that no one's heard about yet: is that the the page like needlifestyle.com that you go to and you can put in your email and whatever else. Um, I didn't know we were going to be putting out PR on uh, that Monday, whenever it was, two weeks ago. Or so. Um, so I had to scramble overnight to set up all the MailChimp and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that is just a Squarespace page. It doesn't have anything to do with our actual site or branding or anything. I just had to like throw together a Squarespace site <laughs> and uh, set up MailChimp and everything. So um, I guess that's exactly what working in startup is like. But um, yeah, so we'll have a lot of like the branding and all that sort of stuff that's gone into it, our packaging, everything like that is. It's genuinely amazing work, um, not done by me, um, <laughs> sort of coordinated by me, uh, I, like, sort of directed by me. Um, but yeah, so excited to share more soon. Okay, then we're going to go to the last portion of the whole thing. And that's, I usually ask people what hardware and software they use. Sure. Which basically means which, you know, computer and phone yeah. and tablet and whatnot. So your hardware. Okay. Uh, I have an 11-inch mid-2012 MacBook Air, um, which is connected currently via Thunderbolt to a 27-inch Thunderbolt display. Um, oh, you actually sprung for the... Oh, yeah, you wrote about that because you didn't want to get the monoprice stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, Sean Blanc and I, off off you know the public platform, were going back and forth about this because he was a big believer in just going for the cheap option and waiting for a Retina 1. And I kept saying, you know, I, can't, I just can't bring myself to do it. You know, I'll save money, but I just can't do it, you know. Um, yeah, I actually remember you writing that if you bought a Dell or a Monoprice, you'd just be thinking the whole time, why does it have that logo? Yeah, it would just, it would just, it would just bother me. And, you know, and I get it. And, like, the amount of times I had one of the Monoprice ones or a Dell one in my car and I was ready to check out, was it was just innumerable. This was going on for, like, a year. And, it, and like, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And then I finally... Um, it was actually one of my investors came by my office and he was like, he saw my laptop and I have the 11 inch just because I travel a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And it, at the time I had a 15 inch pro and a third generation iPad and they were just kind of like, why do you have all this? He-? Well, that back then it was too heavy. So my investor came by and I have this 11 inch, which kind of overcompensated for lightweightness. And, uh, he was like, why, why do you have such like a small computer here? How can you get any work done? I was like, I get plenty done. And he was like, you have to go get a monitor and blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> I went out, I went out and bought this and that was enough of a push uh, that I felt justified in buying it. So, um, yeah, so I have that. And then, uh, iPhone five, uh, 16 gig, um, which is now running against all good you, you didn't. You actually, I you did. actually installed it. Oh, I wow. I did. And I did. And it, I, I did because what happened was um, the lock button broke on it. And 
so I had to go to the Apple store and they just gave me a brand new one. And I never restore from iCloud or anything like that because iCloud is a nightmarish yeah. hellscape. And <laughs> so, um, and I back up everything to Dropbox in terms of photos and everything. So I really don't care. So okay. it was fresh and it was just completely empty. And you can downgrade to iOS 6. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to do it. And I've had it on there since I guess it was, um, Monday night, and so I've had three days or so, and it's been great. I, it's been working fine, although it does seem to send texts more than once to some people, uh-huh. which is <laughs> troublesome. But um, otherwise, it's been fine. Uh, and then I also, and then also, being the idiot that I am, I have iOS seven also installed on my iPad Mini. That's uh, insane, which is an LTE uh, iPad Mini. Uh, so you're a brave man. Yeah, so I'm, I'm all Apple stuff. Um, both of all the iOS devices I have are running iOS seven, which is insane. Um, yeah, I probably, it won't stay like that. Um, on the well, iPad, it's awful. Uh, yeah, I, I bet it is because they didn't even mention it in the keynotes. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually ran into an Apple engineer at a bar um, in San Francisco soon after the keynote, and I said, "You know what's happening with um, you know iOS seven for iPad? Is it going to be on time?" And he was like. Hell no! You know, they, all they've managed to do so far is get it to compile, and uh-huh. and now it's out. Um, but I, I I don't know if it'll ship on time. We'll see, I guess. Wow, that's yeah. Yeah, and then outside yeah. of that, the only the only other thing that's like immediately around me that I I can I carry around is um I have a Sony NEX six camera which I got recently uh, for the business, um, and uh, that's about it really. I, I don't carry too much. I never carry my iPad with me. I carry um physical pen and paper mm-hmm. and then yeah so that's a, that's about it really in terms of like primary hardware i have all right then the software this is my question like the apps you actually use you can just like five or ten that you act not the you know flavor of the month stuff the stuff okay. that you actually use okay so uh probably the biggest change i've had recently is that i've been a diehard uh sparrow user uh, i've been mm-hmm. acting as if it didn't die and whatever else um <laughs> But recently, I've moved to Airmail, which is a newer Mac app for email, um, which is really, it's, it's, it completely rips off Sparrow's design, but it carries it further, and it's more modern functionality, and it's actually being actively improved upon. And I'm really excited about it, so I'm using that. Um, I use, I, I live in that TweetBot for Mac and um, Instacast for Mac. Um, I rarely use, you know, everyone's really focused on these apps for iOS, but I, um, I, I just, I just don't, I don't use my phone as much as I use my Mac. I get more work done on my Mac than I could ever on an iPad or an iPhone. Um, I do most of my writing in IA Writer. Um, I listen to music and audio. I have OmniFocus on all of my devices, but I hate it passionately. <laughs> Yeah, I've never gotten. I, 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 I keep I keep uninstalling it and then trying out things again. I'm like, oh god, I have to go back to OmniFocus, and then, but it doesn't do anything, and I actively don't use to do lists. That's um, the best OmniFocus tagline ever. It doesn't do anything. Yeah, no, it's like it literally sits there, and it makes me feel better that it's in my dock or it's on like my home screen, and like it's, it's it's there, and I feel like oh, look at all the productivity I have and my workflows and whatever else like. Michael Schechter would kill me right now because he, he, he keeps he he's, he wants me to like help out Ryan for their new stuff, which is awesome, work flowing. Um, but I just I hate everything to do with productivity and all these productivity hacks and everything. I think it's a bunch of nonsense. Um, 
I think people should just get whatever they need to do done. And um, yeah, so I have, I have, but the thing is, I have OmniFocus on the home screen of my phone, my iPad, and my Mac. <laughs> that's awesome. That's um, like getting things done placebo, basically. Yeah, you know, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's there so that you know I don't have Michael Schechter just apparating into my apartment and yelling at me on a daily basis. Um, oh. Yeah, so I have that. <laughs> but, and then outside of that, I do I do a lot of work in. Um, I use Creative Cloud, so I have all those apps, uh, all the new ones, so Photoshop CC, AI, uh, Illustrator CC, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Use Lightroom 5 for developing photography, along with Visco uh, filters. Then um, on my phone, I mean, yeah, I live, it's a lot of the same sort of stuff, Tweetbot, Instacast. Um, I use Visco Cam for photography, which is one of these ones where just been really underappreciated, and they just came out with their newer version, and it's, it's easily the best out there. Um, mm-hmm. I work with a lot of photographers and everything. So I, all these guys that have like 500,000 Instagram followers and whatever else, and they all tell me it's definitely the best. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty much it, really. I mean, in terms of stuff I really, really use, um, I live in Chrome. I refuse to use Safari because it sucks. Yeah. It and does. I use I use Simple as my bank, which I love. Um that, that. Oh, that, that's up. That's still up and running. I just heard about that when they were launching. I never knew if it actually took off. So yeah, no. Um, they're still rolling out invitations and stuff. But I got on oh. uh, last summer because um, I had signed. I had signed up really, really, really early on when they first put out like the sign up, uh, mm-hmm. and I've been using it mostly full time for the past year or so. And. Um, for those of us that live between two countries and things like that, it's, they offer free wire transfers internationally. They charge you oh. no fees or anything like that. Wow, okay. Which is a huge, a huge, huge deal. And they've just added external accounts and they do all this really smart stuff. Rather than having you know a savings account or anything, you set goals which generate interest um, but don't sort of disappear from your checking account. It, 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 it's just... The whole thing about it is there's just a bank done better. So that's... I live in that and... Uh, it's pretty great. Okay. And then my last question is if you had to pick one like physical thing, it ha- doesn't have to be a gadget, but what it can be, that kind of you felt it was made for you or kind of made your life really, really better. Like I know the standard like answer is the iPhone, but you know, I've gotten um, like a myriad of different answers, like from electric kettles to glasses and stuff like that. So, so you can't... Does it be an object? Does yes, it be yes. electronic or anything? Um, yes, it has to be an object. That's that's the main thing. Something physical. Uh, let me think. Uh, I have I have this really, really... I have this really, really nice notebook that I always carry around. And I don't always write physical notes. Um, but it's one of those things... Um, that serves as a very nice um, reminder of the importance of keeping tangible, physical, and um, you know, actionable notes and uh, to-do lists and just thoughts about business and everything. So, you know, when I had the original idea for Need, I was walking around London with Mike actually, and I, I'd already had the idea, and I just sort of pitched Mike on it, and he was sort of blown away by the full, full, full concept that I haven't shared yet. And he made me go to a shop to buy this new, um, to buy a notebook. So we went to a pub and sat down. And I wrote down all my notes, and he has a lot of pictures of me doing it actually, which is funny. Um, <laughs> and uh, but it, so as soon as I got back though, as soon as I got back to the US, um, I immediately 
transcribed all of those notes, which was in that notebook I wrote. We sat in the pub for like an hour, and I wrote um, about 18 pages worth of notes about what need would be. Um, nice. And I had the name right from there and everything, and I put it all into this notebook, and so I carry it with me at all times, and it's made with really soft leather. It's, I, it's made from by like a really posh brand. It was a gift. Um, so I won't go into that, but like, I, I, I just, in a, in a very general high level sense, I'd say that a nice notebook carried around with me at all times is uh, one of the most important things. That one, well, that's a great answer. So we can end there. Sure. Matt, thank you. No, thank you. It was an absolute <laughs> pleasure to come on. I'm glad we finally got to chat. Yeah, that, that's true. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, so thank you again. Oh, it's my pleasure. I really do welcome all kinds of feedback because this is my first foray into English-speaking stuff for real. So you can reach me via email at hello at stormingmortal.com. And I also created an English Twitter account of mine, so that's at AtomicXX. And that's pretty much it. Thanks for listening. Bye.